welcome to Kitty Talks, the podcast that shows you how to follow your passion and purpose. My name is Kitty Waters. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of ATL Europe Group, also the creator of Kitty Talks. Our mission is to inspire a generation of changemakers to follow their passion and purpose and make a difference on the planet. All our interviewees have been carefully selected and you will hear amazing inspirational stories of people who have listened to their little voice and followed their purpose. They will reveal bite-sized tips and success secrets that can help you to fulfill your passion and purpose on the planet. Be sure to head over to kittytalks.com and sign up for our exclusive club where you can hear behind-the-scenes footage. These interviews will inspire you to take action. Please like and share so others can have the courage to follow their passion and purpose too. Welcome back to the Kitty Talks podcast. Don't forget to sign up to our website, kittytalks.com. You can access all the videos of our interviews and show notes for free and join our private Facebook community of changemakers. Today, I had such a giggle with my guest on the podcast. Oh my goodness. Uh, This is such a fun podcast. He's such a great guy. Uh, Today, I interviewed Shamash Aladina. He's the best-selling author of Mindfulness for Dummies and The Mindful Way Through Stress. Uh, His story is fascinating. He started off as a chemical engineer um, and he'll tell you about the funny transition. He literally got sacked as a chemical engineer. But now he is a mindfulness teacher, life coach, and uh, he also co-founded the Museum of Happiness in London. In the podcast today, we're going to show you how to achieve freedom by choosing conscious, mindful reactions. And then we talk about how, you know, when we're discovering our purpose, how important it is that we really at points do nothing. Um, You need to build space into your life to hear important messages from above. So we have a really good conversation about how you can find your purpose by giving yourself space. So let's get started. Good afternoon and welcome to Kitty Talks. Today I have with me a great friend who has been having me in stitches laughing already, uh, Shamash Aladina. Welcome. Oh, Shamash Talks, I'm here. <laughs> no, we're Kitty Talks, you're Shamash. Shamash listens. Shamash doesn't listen. Yes. So for those of you that don't know, Shamash, oh no, I can't say your name, Shamash. Yes. Is that right? Shamash yeah. is the best-selling yeah. author of Mindfulness for Dummies. <laughs> it's a very apt name of a book okay. that you wrote. You can just call me the Mindfulness for Dummies, guys. That's easier. Yes. You've also written another book, though, so let's not sell you short. It's also a book called The Mindful Way Through Stress, and he is a very well-respected mindfulness teacher. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited. You know, well, thank you for coming, I think. <laughs> Time will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> now, the reason I wanted to Shamash to... Oh, dear. This is not going well. The reason I wanted Shamash to come on the show is he has a very interesting story, which he's going to share with you all today. But before we start, Shamash, can you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do in the world now? Sure. So, um... I suppose there's two main things that I do. So the first thing I do is I'm interested in the world of mindfulness and meditation. So I train uh, mindfulness and meditation teachers and I teach a form of mindfulness, which I call timefulness, which is about bringing mindfulness meditation 
He loves kindness and compassion. So that's kind of one side of the wealth strategy. And then the other project, which I started a couple of years ago and keeps kind of growing and I'm taking more and more of my time, is a project called the Museum of Happiness. Cool. Actual physical museum. We've got one in Shoreditch, maybe open another one soon. And it's a project where we, it's kind of like a way to attract people, like everyone's interested in happiness. Uh, most people like museums. And so people kind of get curious. So we come along and then we teach them about evidence-based ways to actually lift their kind of happiness and well-being. And mindfulness is one of them. Gratitude is another one. Being kind to other people and ourselves is another one. Uh, generosity is an approach. And then there's also sorts of other things that you can do. So we've started that. And now we're starting to go into companies and organizations, helping them not only to lift their well-being, but also their resilience and reduce their stress levels to be more focused. We've even done things like laughter yoga in corporate <laughs> <laughs> Don't think we need that. <laughs> happening right now. <laughs> kitty laughs. No, it's kitty talk, not kitty laughs. <laughs> Well, you're doing it wrong if you're laughing then. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that could be a secret follow-up. <laughs> yeah, the follow-up. The advanced program. What could you do next? <laughs> no, Shemash, that's really interesting. Um, so is it a museum as in the history? Because I always think of museums as in, like, the history. Yeah, so this is the thing about museums. Actually, the, the word museum comes from the idea of the muses. And the muses are all about uh, learning in ancient Greek. And so... For me, a museum is not just about history, it's a place to learn something. If you go to the science museum, yes, you'd learn about the history of science, but you'd also learn about science itself and what's happening now, and even things about what might come in the future. So it's not so much about the past. So although we may actually have an exhibition in the future where we talk about the history of happiness, how people used to be happy. <laughs> That's what someone said. The music of happiness is that just like okay, we're happy. <laughs> yes, when we're happy back in the day. <laughs> this is what happiness used to look like. Um, uh, you should call it happiness now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're very much into that. So we actually have like uh, pay it forward classes. We call it in meditation, yoga, and singing, and even some things like silent disco. So people can come along to a free or gifted class by a teacher. And then they just offer a donation or actually pay it forward. So do a favor for a friend or a family member or someone random, like a stranger. Just do, just do an act of kindness. And so the idea is that oh, the ripple is just happening. Yeah. That yeah. is amazing. So this actually exists. This is in uh, Shoreditch, the museum. It's in Shoreditch right now. Yeah, it's the back of a cafe called the Canvas Cafe. And actually, that's London's first happy cafe. So there's a charity called Action Happiness. Yes. And they've set up lots of. Um, well, they kind of sponsor different cafes. And so this was the first happy cafe in London, and they support Action Happiness and Action Happiness supports them. So um, by synchronicity, which I know that your listeners are very much into and interested in, we ended up opening up this Museum of Happiness. What happened is, um, <laughs> another synchronicity, we ended up doing a huge uh, Museum of Happiness event, which had thousands of people coming. Normally, we only have 50 people, uh, but that's a separate story. Anyway, the lady who had this cafe in Shoreditch, she came along and she's like, wow, this is amazing. By the way, I've got this stock room at the back, which I don't use. You could turn it into a museum of happiness. And we're like, wow, that sounds great. And she's like, yeah, and also, can you do it next month? Because we're, uh, we're releasing a new drink called the, you know, Frappuccino or something, some, some sort of vegan drink. Which yeah. is Actually, people travel all over the country, from different parts of the country to have this vegan Freak shake, that's what it's called. It's a freak shake. It's a vegan 
experience, which looks like a, basically a massive ice cream uh, with fruits and stuff in it. And so they wanted to launch that. So they said, can you start the museum here on the same day? So we did that. And we ended up coming on BBC News, actually. So we had this little museum in the back. We got a text from BBC News saying, uh, we would, we've heard that you're opening a museum of happiness, the world's first museum of happiness. We'd like to, we'd like to film it. So we ended up on the six o'clock news that evening. <laughs> Oh, wow. So all these wonderful synchronicities just kind of fell into yeah, place. It was so good. It was so nice. Wonderful. And now you travel around the world, speaking, lecturing, training yeah. others. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I go to different, like, uh, we met at a conference uh, in Mexico. And so I've been to other conferences, either it's attending or sometimes I'm lucky enough to give a talk. So I give talks about happiness more often on mindfulness and mindfulness. That's kind of more my speciality. And yeah i like to like to spread it around the world as much as i can but also i do a lot of online work so that's quite fun too because it feels like you know you could be doing a program you've got someone from australia and new zealand some people from california and some people in europe cool. and some people from around the corner i'm like where do you live and they're like you live five miles down the road and you've got another person coming in from new york so i really enjoy those online programs as well absolutely yeah well it's wonderful isn't it like because of the wonders of the internet you can have people all over the world listening to yeah. what we're doing it's brilliant yeah. it's a really nice feeling especially when you're teaching like meditation doing these heart meditations so you send like love to the planet and you know that these people in in different parts of the planet literally doing the same meditation together uh of spreading more love or kindness or peace on the world it really feels like you're having that effect so it's mm. been a real privilege to do that mm. and you are definitely an example of someone following their passion and their purpose but um i know it wasn't always like that as in when you were younger yeah yeah you mentioned you mentioned the oil rings in this little chat we had earlier from oil, oil rings to meditation seems like quite a big jump actually they're both i i actually studied chemical engineering so i was very interested in science and i happened to be good at science it was a very weird feeling i remember being at school like i was sitting in this exam room and i'm filling out this exam paper and before I'd become top of the class, and it was a very weird thing. Like, why am I top of the class? I'm just I'm not doing any more work than anyone else. It just happened to be something I was quite good at. So, so I just followed that passion, and then ended up um, going to university and just chose chemical engineering because it was at the top of the list of, in terms of financial salaries. It was quite that high. They used chemistry, physics, maths, what I was interested in. So I just fell into this. There was no thought process. It was like I was kind of walking about half asleep, half awake. And then the first wake up call happened to me uh, when I tried it as a job in a summer vacation. So I was in this office. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm getting paid a decent amount of money being in the office. What do you want to do? We want you to work out the size of the pipes for an oil rig in Indonesia. I'm like, really? I'm like, okay. And I do it for the next first day. And it happens again and again. Basically, I'm spending weeks doing this. So I'm getting, I don't know how people survive in offices, but in the afternoon, I was getting so bored just about staying away. They used to go for these long lunch breaks. <laughs> they, they, they forced you to swipe in and swipe out. Right. So I didn't know this, but they were measuring. <laughs> you didn't know that. <laughs> I thought you just swipe in and out. It was like a security thing. But I actually somehow managed to get a negative salary check for one of them. <laughs> I'm like, this is something's going wrong. I mean, because well, you were taking such long, long lunch breaks because you didn't enjoy your yeah. job. I think I was there a lot less than, than they were expecting me to. I even used to go to the toilet for hours. Well, so you owed them money. <laughs> you know, I ended up being more interested than being in the office. So I got this negative paycheck. I'm like, okay, this is not working out. <laughs> I'm going to send them a check. 
<laughs> I didn't even know such a thing could exist, a negative paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I must have done negative hours somehow. Anyway, so I didn't want to do that. And then I was on the London Underground and I saw a poster for a philosophy class. And I thought, that has got to be the opposite of chemical engineering, practical philosophy. So let me try that out. And it was also only £20 for students, so I'm like, okay, that's a good deal for a 10-week course, it's a brilliant deal. So I went along, and it was there when I had this experience of mindfulness and meditation, which was really transformative for me. I sat down, and they just got us to just feel the breathing, feel, the sen feel our different senses, close our eyes. It was the first time I'd properly done meditation, and I just felt calm and relaxed, but also, one of the biggest things I discovered is that I am not my thoughts, so there's the thoughts here, and then I'm the observer. I'm not, I don't have to be the thoughts. There's, a, there's an opportunity from time to time to be the observer. And so if I'm the observer, then I can have negative or positive or whatever thoughts, but I, I'm actually not there. I'm, I've got this, there's a space between me and my thoughts. And so then I thought, no matter what happens in my life, no matter what goes wrong, okay, these thoughts can go crazy, but this, this part of me can just be smiling and watching. It's really, actually free from it. So there's a great inner freedom. I thought, oh my goodness, everyone should learn this. I wanted to become a teacher in a school where all children would learn this. Mm -hmm. The problem was I was only halfway through my degree in engineering and I really wanted to quit. It was a four-year course, but I just kind of, I just turned up to the exams and just about dragged, dragged my feet through. I just managed to pass the third year. Then I started to go back to my lectures and finish the degree and then became a school teacher where actually all the children uh, do mindfulness and meditation as well. Beautiful. Yeah, so that's how I ended up going from doing the sciences and engineering to actually uh, be a teacher. And then the, te the, 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 the story continues in that I was a teacher for almost 10 years in the school. And, you know, it's a beautiful school in that they had a 10-minute meditation in the morning and the evening, like the um, flight time, they called it. And between lessons, you know, you'd say to everyone, okay, everybody, let's pause. And they could be age five years or 10 years or 15 years old. And they'd sit up, close their eyes, and they know that for 30 seconds, they just need to be quiet and so there's not this constant rushing from one lesson to another lesson because i was taught in other schools where you just you know, the bell goes everyone's playing away rushing to the next lesson you're doing some work they're really getting into it no matter you know they could be in, doing, in the middle of a beautiful piece of artwork but the bell goes that's it packing everything away and rush off so this is a much nicer way but uh, i started getting interested in teaching meditation more to adults i've been teaching it to children i just wanted to do something different because it felt like you know, I was also a physics teacher there, a chemistry teacher, and there was lots of stories of different things exploding and stuff, and things going right and wrong. So basically, I wanted to challenge myself to the next level. And so I started researching meditation. And that's when I saw the research on mindfulness. And there was very few teachers on mindfulness in London. There's maybe one or two. And how long ago was this? I think this was about 2007 or 2006, something like that. So I went along to those, those classes. I thought this is a lovely format. And then I managed to find a university in Wales where they did uh, training to be able to teach that. I did that. And then um, it was through, uh, I'd heard about life coaching. So I'd done this visualization. And this visualization, I went out into the world, out into the university. And when I came back to my ideal life, I was living in a house where the front of the house was facing the city of London. And the back was facing the countryside. And I actually did live in a house a little bit like that in the south of London. And then the other part of the visualization is that people were coming in, and I'm just walking around, very relaxed and calm, and just teaching them meditation. And so um, 
well, actually, it's not that hard to do. I could actually start doing that. So I started teaching classes and meditation in my home, and I just used the website meetup.com. And there were no meetups at all for mindfulness meditation. So I started the London Mindfulness Meditation Meetup Club, and a few people started trickling in, and I started teaching them mindfulness just as a free thing. But I noticed half the people never turned up. So I'm like, maybe, maybe I could actually charge a small amount of money and maybe people will become more motivated. And I was really scared to do this because I'd always taught it for free. But let me just try Let me just try charging a little fee for people to come. And when I tried it, every single person turned up. In fact, more people started becoming. And if they didn't come, they started to apologize. Oh, sorry, I couldn't make it. Please, can I come next week? I'm like, yeah, sure, you can come next week if you want. So I thought, hang on a minute. Although I'm a school teacher at the moment, maybe I could actually make this into my job and I could actually teach people and make an income from it. So that's when I got that insight that I could do that. So then I started teaching more and more little classes. Um, <laughs> and it didn't all go... go yeah, go on, go on, Karen, sorry. And it did, I mean, there's a moment where it didn't go quite as well as I was hoping. I remember I was in... A, I decided, okay, I'm going to hire a really nice hotel room in a hotel in Richmond. I'm going to give out thousands of little postcards advertising mindfulness stuff like that. We're going to have, you know, it's going to work really, really well. So I remember printing these thousands of cards, standing outside Richmond Station, pouring down with rain and giving these cards to everyone. No one's even interested in looking at this card about how to learn mindfulness. A few people are. And, you know, the station, the people in the station picked me out as well. They say, can you walk further away from the station? <laughs> I have to stay in the rain. Shops, like, I think the ice cream shop took one, and pretty much nobody else went to take one. And this, this, but I managed to give out these thousands of cards. And after all that, uh, only two people contacted me. One person said, if you come to my house and teach me one-to-one uh, over the eight weeks, then maybe I might do it if you do that, you know, for like 10 or 20 pounds a session. And then the other person wasn't really interested in either. So it, it, that was the moment of like, you know, I'm not sure if I can make this happen. Uh, but that was even before making websites and things. And websites were just starting to get popular at that time. So then I started making a website. But yeah. And then what happened is that I gradually started to grow my business and started teaching more and more and more people. And um, my brother was working in New York at that time. So I went to visit him in New York. And I was holding a book called CBT for Dummies, Cognitive Behaviour Therapy for Dummies, because yeah. I like the CBT stuff, but to be honest, it wasn't making sense to me, and I wanted a, a simple book, and I ended up reading this CBT book, I'm like, this is actually a really good book, I know it says for dummies, but actually it's really good format, it's written by a therapist, it's brilliant, and then my brother's like, is there mindfulness for dummies? I'm like, yeah, there must be, and then I just kind of Googled it, I'm like, oh, there isn't one. So I just went to dummies.com, I clicked on contact, and I said, why isn't there a mindfulness for dummies? And you know, I just did it for my Hotmail email at the time, and just forgot about it. And then like five or six weeks later, I got this email, been forwarded to loads of people, and eventually came back to me and said, we would like to have a meeting with you. Great. <laughs> yeah, and so one meeting led to the other, and they didn't even know what mindfulness was or what meditation was. There's only about three or four books out at the time on it. Like, this is really interesting. Could you write a chapter? I'm like, okay. Could you write a table of contents? I'm like, okay, I could try writing that. Could you? And then suddenly I get a phone call saying, could you write the book? <laughs> <laughs> it's like they had to warm up to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? You've got the contract, start writing. I'm like, what? Write a book? I'm, I don't have to write a book. They're like, oh, you work it out. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty simple. You've got the table of contents, just fill in the gaps. <laughs> <laughs> 
being one of the hardest things I've done, but um, yeah, I managed to do it. <laughs> Fantastic. And now you are the author of Mindfulness for Dummies, which obviously that yeah. mindfulness series is big, yeah. you know, that's all, yeah. a lot of people know all about that. So. That's right, yeah. It, it ended up being a really good seller for them, actually. So actually, I write a few, a few more of the Dummies books after that. One for relaxation, a workbook, one for the workplace. So that kind of really helped them to start selling more books on mindfulness. So they got very interested in that. So, yeah, it's quite surprising for them as well, I think. And what advice would you have? Because I love listening to your journey, to to your story, you know, because, mm. you know, you're so open about the kind of synchronicities and the, <laughs> oh, how did that happen? You know, like, yeah. you know, what advice would you have for our listeners? You know, maybe they don't know what their passion and purpose is and don't maybe they don't know why they're here. You know, just from your own journey, your own experience, kind of what would you advice would you give someone at the moment? Well, we were having a chat earlier and you start talking about how you you don't you don't know exactly where you're going, but you just take the next step and the next step. And I mean if I go back to when I was at a stage where I um was teaching in this school and I wasn't quite enjoying it, somebody had mentioned this idea of life coaching. So when I walked into this bookshop and I picked up this book on life coaching and then I then I looked up the website and ended up going to the class. And when I went to the class, you know, doing this visualization, and that led me to these things. So it's always, I never really knew where it was going. I was just taking the next step and the next step. And what were you following? What, what was it you were following? Like, just so people can recognize it in themselves. Um, I suppose I was aware that what I was doing at the time when I was being a teacher in the school, for example, wasn't satisfying for me. Okay. So I was looking for, okay, what do I need to do? What's the next step that I need to take? So it's, it's I suppose it's following uh, my gut feeling or my intuition. People use that word a lot. But it's just simply your feeling, how you're feeling right now. Like something doesn't feel right. So let me talk to someone or let me read a book or let me keep my eye out for what could be the solution for that. Mm. And just trusting that you never know where it's going to lead and actually just giving it a go, not knowing that it's definitely going to work or not going to work, it may or may not, but at least if you have a little bit of an inkling that it might, then it's not a big step to just walk into a bookshop or to look at a book or to just have a little casual chat with someone. It's not it's not a huge step to take. I think everyone can take that, like small steps like that. And it's just knowing that these small steps can lead to something. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes big goals are fantastic and great, but that can be quite frightening for people. But the little step, like what you can do today, what small steps that you can take to be able to move forward. Like, for example, someone listens to this, they may not be into mindfulness at all, but they've heard me mention it a few times. So they might like my approach or they might like a different approach. It doesn't matter. But you might do something simple like type in Google, have a look at the first website, maybe get a book on it, or maybe talk to a friend who's tried some mindfulness and actually try a little exercise, even one minute or even 30 seconds or something. Try something small. And then that can lead to something else and lead to something else. So it's taking these small actions, not just thinking about it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I think you get a bit of momentum that way, don't you? And it's yeah. following the path of the things that you enjoy, actually. Like, you yeah. you know, yeah. you, you knew that the uh, engineering or the building of uh, oil rigs <laughs> <laughs> didn't necessarily float your boat, but actually you yeah. found something else that you really enjoyed. Exactly, yeah. Again, we mentioned this, but fun uh, is really important. And some people think that, our oh, jobs are not fun. This is not fun. That's not fun. You just have to stick with it. But I think that's an idea which can actually lead to a lot of negativity and depression, anxiety, and all sorts of things. 
you don't have to keep doing something that you're not really enjoying. There's always something that you can enjoy. And even if you feel totally stuck in the job, there's someone that you can talk to or there's a different way or point of view you can take to looking at that job. There's always hope. There's always something you can change. And there's a fantastic book um, based, in, uh, based on the Holocaust. What's it called? Um, by Victor Franklin. Well, the title will come to me. It's a beautiful life, no, I want to say. Yeah, no, it's the opposite of that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, Man's Search for Meaning, that's it. Oh, oh wow, yeah. yeah. And uh, in that book, he, he's in a concentration camp and you know, lots of people are dying or committing suicide or just not surviving in that atmosphere. And he realizes that the one thing you can control is your own inner attitude and you've got that choice you can make. And in, in a situation like that, if somebody can say, say, say that, then I think most of us can say that in whatever situation that we're in. Mm -hmm. So between one of his famous quotes is, between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space, there's a choice. And in that choice lies your freedom, something along those lines. So between stimulus and response, the stimulus is what the world hits us with, all the different problems, car accidents, you, know, you lose your job, something wrong with your relationship. That's the stimulus. Your response is the way you you know you way you relate to that, and the stimulus and response doesn't have to be automatic and fast. They can be a space. And this is what mindfulness is all about, or you can call it whatever you want, you can give whatever word. But that space you can create within yourself, so you don't automatically react, but you consciously respond to how you're going to um, meet that experience, and that makes all the difference in the world. Mm, absolutely, yeah, because then you're not reacting all the time. You're you're choosing how you react. And, it, and I think that's a fascinating um, concept as well, because quite often what appears necessarily to be something negative, we, we can we can look at it in a different way and it can be something really transformative. You know, the classic one is people lose they, losing their jobs and they think, oh my goodness, they've been made redundant or it's the end of the world. And actually there's an opportunity there for them to go and set up their business or do something that they would never have done before. Exactly. Exactly. I've got a funny example that happened last week. Uh, I, I had a friend who came over last week and uh, had to reverse my car. It's about 11 p.m. at night. And I thought I'd bump into something. I wasn't too sure. Anyway, I dropped him off to the station, came back, and I looked at the car. And this other car was completely smashed up. Like, oh, my God. And I realized it's my neighbor's car. So I'm like, oh, no, it's my neighbor's car. I'm going to have to write a note or something. It's late at night. So I wrote a note saying, I'm so sorry, but I'm just reversing your car. And that was it. And the next evening, he rang the doorbell. We both got home late. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Said, oh, no, don't worry about it. We'll sort something out. We'll do something. I'm like, wow, this is such a positive response to it. And then a day or two later, he found out that the car's going to be written up or we need to fix it somehow. But he came over and we're like, okay, come in, take a seat. And we had this great conversation for an hour. We were all laughing. Our family was laughing. We had a great time, actually. We never had such a long conversation with him. So something like a car accident actually brought us together as neighbours. So you just never know. <laughs> well, I think he needs to be, re um, you know, patted on the back for reacting quite so well. He must have been doing a lot of mindfulness. I don't think I'd have been so happy if he'd written off my car. <laughs> Next week, we're interviewing Chamish's neighbour this week. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't, didn't, didn't like it at all. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Shamash, thank you so much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I've definitely done my yoga, my laughing yoga for the day. <laughs> yeah, laughing yoga, I love it. But if people want to know more about Shamash and his work and what he's up to in the world, we'll have all his details in the show notes. Uh, so yeah, any questions, please let us know and we'll also get him to answer them. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been so fun. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Kitty Talks. Be sure to head over to our kittytalks.com website. Become a member of our exclusive club and you'll get free interviews and access to our private Facebook group. Exclusive webinars and secret success interviews. See you there.